So here, everybody, happy Dr. King Day on Tuesday. For us, it's Dr. Martin Luther King Day every day. Check out Stevie Wonder's amazing monologue on the 31st anniversary of his song, which we're going to play. Happy birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King. In which he says that the United States has not changed one iota since he wrote that song. And they honor Dr. King in a hollow holiday. Nobody knows what the point is. But I do. So in terms of this historical memory campaign that I'm on, every year on King Day, I publish an article that begins in Counterpunch online, counterpunch.org. You can get, see it uh, today. Uh, it was on yesterday. And I want to thank Jeffrey Sinclair, the editor, who's just very kind to me and always gets my stuff up and gives it good positioning, and it means a lot. So counterpunch.org. Um, I also want to thank Dick Price because it's on LA Progressive. Check it out on Medium under Eric Mann. That would mean a lot to go on Medium and see how I'm doing. So... Why do I write this every year? Well, the first thing is there's one core article, All Hail the Revolutionary King. That's about 5,000 words, and that took me, oh my God, uh, a year to write or months to write. This is very complicated history, and it's trying to say, of course, that Dr. King was a black nationalist. Dr. King was a black militant. His nonviolence was secondary to his nonviolent direct action. They always leave out the direct action. Dr. King was against the war in Vietnam, and that led him to become, like all of us, anti-imperialist. Dr. King, in his speech, Vietnam ending the silence, goes into great detail about the amazing things that the National Liberation Front of Vietnam is doing. He first says, I'm not trying to get involved in this war, but then he makes it very clear that one side's right and one side's wrong, and I'm on the side of the Viet Cong. Now, of course, Dr. King didn't talk like that, but he talked very clearly, and he said things very clearly, and the system from the beginning hated him manipulated him. Even while he was alive, they contributed to his character assassination and eventually to his actual assassination. So every year, again, thanks to Counterpunch, we publish Oil Hill to the Revolutionary King. But every year, because it's a whole year, I write a pretty long introduction. It's always original. Last year, I think it said, all hail to the revolutionary king as the fascists storm the capital and the movement doesn't know what to do. This one is called Dr. Martin Luther King's Challenge to the Democrats as Biden finally speaks out on voting rights. The basic theme is it's very good that Joe Biden is speaking out. It's very good that he's working on voting rights. But Joe Biden is no friend of Dr. Martin Luther King. And to invoke him, as everybody does in the Democratic Party, in the most cynical manner, 
is beyond disgusting because the problem is that today in the movement or the lack of movement, most of the social justice groups are totally tied and dependent on the Democratic Party. They're not going to take on Biden. They're not going to take on Obama. They're not going to take on Mayor Garcetti. They will not challenge Black elected officials like Holly Mitchell. They won't simply say to Holly Mitchell, on this you did good, on this you didn't do good. For instance, please support the Bus Riders Union in our fight against anti-Blackness at the MTA. We can't get any help on that. Oh, well, I can't challenge Holly Mitchell because she did something good. Or in many cases, I can't challenge Mayor Garcetti because he gave me something. So my job a lot is to continue the historical legacy of that the civil rights and anti-war movements began and cut our teeth in a battle with the Democratic Party. Dr. King was our friend. John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy and J. Edgar Hoover and Lyndon Johnson were our enemies. Let's get right to it. Now, the Democratic Party tries to take Dr. King out of the grave as a broken caricature for their own cynical reasons. My article is saying that's not true. And we have to build a movement independent of the Democratic Party. Now, one last thing before I start reading. I was thinking about this. There's two kinds of people, unfortunately, who would understand this argument. The first are people who are irrelevant. They have no base. They don't organize. They have no subtlety. They sit around, they listen to KPFK, which I appreciate. They listen to Amy Goodman. They say, yeah, down with the system, down with the system. I hate the Democrats. And you say, fine, could you get 30 people to march at the MTA in support of the bus rides union? Oh, no, I don't represent anything. Right. So those are not the people we want. We want the people that are organizing in the Black community, organizing in the Latino community. We want some of the young people from Democratic Socialists in America who are doing some very good work to say, you know, you're right. You're not asking us to go to war with the Democratic Party. You're simply asking us to push the Democratic Party to do what we want. And we have to stop being so afraid. And let me tell you what the punchline is, as Dr. King will tell you. Punchline is if you challenge the Democratic Party on its war against China, on its war against Russia, on its mass incarceration of Black people, they will come down on you like a ton of bricks. They will work to hurt your organization, to intimidate you, and to prevent you from doing your job. Now, back in the 60s, we understood that. It was our job to take on the Democratic Party, and we assumed they would retaliate against us, which they did, and then we retaliated back against them, and then we negotiated, and then we found some things to do together, and we found some really good Democrats who supported the movement more than the Democratic Party. That's what I'm trying to do today. That's why I spend so much time writing this article. That's the context, and I hope you enjoy it. And yes, I would love comments at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. So having said that, here's at least a lot of the introduction to my article. So happy to have you on the show today. This is Eric Mann. 
the host of Voices from the Frontlines. You're on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And please check out our podcast the day afterwards on VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com. Hail the Revolutionary King. Dr. Martin Luther King's challenge to the Democrats as Biden finally speaks out on voting rights by Eric Mann. Again, published in counterpunch.org. On January 11th, 2022, President Joe Biden made an impassioned speech in support of his new Voting Rights Act and against the right-wing fascist takeover. It was a critical speech in the fight between the center-right Democrats and the arch-right fascist Republicans. And Biden and the Democrats on this issue deserve our support. But once again, as we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, we have to protect his revolutionary legacy from Democratic Party whitewashers, including their cover-up of their treachery against him when he was alive. The goal of this article is to protect Dr. King's historical legacy, to explain Dr. King's independence from the Democratic Party, his lifelong fight with the Democratic Party. It's also to call on, quote, social justice groups who become adjuncts of the Democratic Party, to have the decency to look history squarely in the face. You don't have to agree with Dr. King's independence from the Democratic Party his strong black liberation politics, his profound internationalism, his anti-imperialism and pro-communism. But please do not take the name of the revolutionary Dr. King in vain or use him to advance the neoliberal anti-black Democratic Party agenda. Joe Biden, in his truly moving advocacy for the Voting Rights Act, tries to invoke every possible image to his side. He calls the question, will you stand against election subversion? Yes or no? Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? Now, this has caused a ferocious white backlash by the racist white majority in the white southern state, who again feel oppressed by being asked to look in the mirror. Now, out of context, Biden's speech is excellent. And to call up Jefferson Davis is a big thing because most of the whites in this country support the South in the Civil War, not the North. So far, so good. Yet I know many of us who were taught by Dr. King and yes, I saw him in real life, unlike among the millions of people who marched with Dr. King. In fact, there were more people that marched with Dr. King than could have possibly marched with him. But that's okay. In their mind, they and we did. 
But those of us who were taught by Dr. King, who marched with him, the Congress of Racial Equality, the Student Nonviolent Coordinator, who marched with Malcolm X, and the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, and yes, the Black Panther Party, this is how we would respond to Joe Biden. Joe Biden, do not use Dr. King to advance your objectives. You Democrats spent your lives belittling him, defaming him, surveilling him, character assassinating him, and contributing to his actual assassination. And in case you think we forgot, Bull Connor was a Democrat. George Wallace was a Democrat. And Kennedy and Johnson conciliated with them because they were in their party, the Dixiecrats. Kennedy and Johnson saw Dr. King as an adversary. And when he refused to advance their agenda, they turned J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI and Dr. King, whom they came to see as an enemy. The short history of the Democratic Party attacks on Dr. King and the Black community. Dr. Martin Luther King had a complex and contentious relationship with the Democratic Party, as did all of us in the Civil Rights Movement. In his letter of 1963, letter from a Birmingham jail, he called out white Democratic Party, quote, moderates. I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've also, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Now, this is 1963, very early. And King is already fed up with the Kennedys because who is he talking about? The white moderates. Kennedy's saying this is not the right way. Slow down, slow down. And the civil rights movement is saying, no, freedom now, speed up, speed up. Dr. King refused to capitulate to John Kennedy. He refused to accede to Kennedy's demands as to whom he could choose as his allies and advisors. In return, the Kennedys authorized J. Edgar Hoover to wiretap Dr. King and put him under systematic surveillance with the goal of discrediting and whitemailing him. After a meeting with civil rights leaders at the White House in 1963, President Kennedy took Dr. King into the Rose Garden for private chat. Now, King, assuming the president was going to offer an off-the-record set of concessions, was startled when Kennedy demanded that he break his relationship with Stanley Levison, one of King's closest friends and advisors. Levison had been close to the Communist Party, or more than that, and particularly because of that, he was a brilliant strategist, tactician, and confident for King. He had initially been introduced to King by Brian Rustin, a Quaker, in New York City in 1956. Think about this, 1956. And Kennedy is threatening him in 1963. Though King had offered to pay Levinson in return for his help, Levinson refused on every occasion, as he believed, quote, deliberation struggle is the most positive and rewarding area of work anyone could experience. Amen. And yes, he was a Jew. And oh, yes, 
more than half of the white people, four with black people, were Jews. Now, the FBI used the pretext of Levison's ties to the CPUSA to initiate wiretaps in King's offices and hotel rooms. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover had long associated the civil rights movement with communism, parenthesis, which was true. And he strongly expected that Levison would use or manipulate King to stimulate political unrest within the United States, which was not true. The concept that the white man will get the black man to rise up against the system is pretty sad. In 2012, Tim Weiner wrote in his History of the FBI that Hoover believed Levison indoctrinated King in Marxist thought and subversive strategies, and that King was part of Moscow's grand design to subvert the United States of America. Now, let me take a minute with that, because there's some truth to that. See, in the 50s and 60s, many of us became pro-communist because the system was so anti-communist. The United States threatened a war with the Soviet Union over missiles in Cuba when it could have negotiated because the United States had missiles in Turkey directly aimed at the Soviet Union. Kennedy supported the Southern racists, would not protect civil rights organizers in the South as the Klan was killing them. Kennedy invaded Cuba. We were against that. You didn't have to be a communist to know that was wrong, but as you came to see it was wrong, you started becoming a communist. We liked the Soviet Union. We liked the People's Republic of China. They were our friends. They were trying to help us. And the United States was the one that was trying to subvert the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement. We were not part of Moscow's plans because Moscow wasn't really planning to overthrow the United States. We were. How's that? Moscow was just saying, let's try to get along with the United States because these people are crazy. But Moscow was friendly to the movement and the Communist Party did some great work to help black people. So there are some people who go, oh, no, no, King wasn't a communist. Oh, no, no, that's so unfair. You're being very stupid. King was very pro-communist. Let me break it to you. We all were. And read the longer article as he praises W.E.B. Du Bois as a black genius and a communist. So as we go through all the terrible things that J. Edgar Hoover did, let's not demonize Hoover out of context. From 1960 to King's death in 1968, J. Edgar Hoover worked for John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and Lyndon Johnson, all Democrats. On April 7th, 1968, the day of King's assassination, Lyndon Johnson was still president. J. Edgar Hoover was still the head of the FBI. And by then, Johnson was also working to isolate and discredit King. The James Baldwin-Bobby Kennedy meeting of 1963. Robert Kennedy is furious at the challenge from the civil rights militants. I know a lot of stuff. I study history every day, two, three, four hours. This is one of the most important historical developments. Read about it on Wikipedia. I don't know if anybody's written a book about it yet. I don't know if James Baldwin has, but it's one of the most historic developments in the civil rights movement that a lot of us knew about, but it's not popularly understood. So I'm going to read you some stuff. 
1963, Bobby Kennedy, thinking he would co-opt the civil rights movement, initiated a meeting with James Baldwin to, quote, listen to the Negro's concerns. Like in Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, Kennedy did not like what he heard and chose not to see the black people in front of him. Now, James Baldwin brought a delegation of civil rights royalty. David Baldwin, his brother, Harry Belafonte, singer and activist, Edwin Berry, director of the Chicago Urban League, Kenneth Clark, psychologist, June Shagalov, education director of the NAACP, Lorraine Hansberg, the great playwright and author of Raisin in the Sun, Lena Horne, musician, did you get that? Lena Horne, Clarence Benjamin Jones, advisor to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and Jerome Smith, freedom writer associated with the Congress of Racial Equality, CORE, of which I was a field secretary about a year and a half later. Now at the meeting, Jerome Smith told Bobby Kennedy that black people would not fight in Cuba or anyone else for the racist states. Lorraine Hansberry warned Kennedy that he had to listen to the new militant black voices. In response, Kennedy put them all under surveillance. I repeat, he wanted to hear from the Negro. He didn't like what he heard, so he put them all under surveillance, not just Dr. King. I write, I would love to hear Clarence Jones tell the story in even great detail. Thank God he's still alive. I reached out to him once. I hope I can reach out to him again. Love to have him on Voices from the front lines. President Biden is absolutely right to fight for a new Voting Rights Act, but he is absolutely wrong to invoke Dr. Martin Luther King's name to justify that support. Dr. King speaks out against the war in Vietnam and Democrats from Lyndon Johnson to the local dog catcher turn against him with a vengeance. On April 4th, 1967, exactly one year to the day before his assassination, on April 4th, 1968, Dr. King gave his historic Vietnam a time to end the silent speech at the Riverside Church in New York. When you listen to the speech, there's a long warm-up of King going through a deep introspection on challenging his own silence or lack of aggression in support of the war in Vietnam. He begins, I come to this magnificent house of worship, that is the Riverside Church in New York, tonight because my conscience leaves me no other choice. I found myself in full accord when I read its opening line, a time comes when silence is betrayal. That time has come for us in relation to Vietnam, and parenthesis, the silence of many groups in LA who will not take on the Democratic Party is another form of betrayal. King continues, over the past two years, as I have moved to break the betrayal of my own silences and to speak from the burnings of my own heart, as I've called for radical departures from the destruction of Vietnam, many persons have questioned me about the wisdom of my past. At the heart of their concerns, this query has often loomed large and loud. 
Why are you speaking about the war, Dr. King? Why are you joining the voices of dissent? Peace and civil rights don't mix, they say. Aren't you hurting the very cause of your own people, they ask. And when I hear them, though I often understand the source of their concern, I am nevertheless greatly saddened. For such questions mean that the inquirers have not really known me, my commitment, or my calling. Indeed, their questions suggest that they do not know the world in which they live. In the light of such tragic misunderstanding, I deem it of signal importance to try to state clearly, and I trust concisely, why I believe the path from Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, the church in Montgomery, Alabama, where I began my pastorate, leads clearly to this sanctuary tonight. I urge everyone to listen to that speech. I listen to it at least several times a year and I read it. And we all want to thank Vincent Harding, very close friend of Dr. King's, who wrote most of the text. When you read the text, King moves slowly, step by step, but he ends with one of the most important statements. He says, when I am asked to condemn the violence of black people in the ghetto, I tell people I can't. For my own government, the United States is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. The mass murders in Vietnam, 4 million people killed, is the genocide on which the United States is built. So when you read this speech, he moves slow, but he ends up clearly siding with the National Liberation Front of Vietnam and asking the United States to immediately withdraw all troops and invest that money in helping low-income and poor people in the United States. But the major audience for this speech was urging everyone tied to the Democratic Party to stand up to Lyndon Johnson and the Democratic liberals who were carrying out the genocidal war in Vietnam. What is behind this long, painful introduction? Who exactly is telling Dr. King that peace and civil rights don't mix? It was President Lyndon Johnson who dropped this good old boy facade to tell King in no uncertain terms that if King came out against the war in Vietnam, Johnson would destroy him. And just as when Muhammad Ali spoke out against the war in Vietnam and the NAACP and every liberal Democrat excoriated him, Dr. King was put through the most brutal retaliation for his courage. The Democrats worked to marginalize him. Democratic Party funders cut him off. The media treated him as a subversive, which he was in his own way, and took away their false mantle of him as a moderate. Now, the brutal attacks on Dr. King, led by the Democratic Party, are exposed in living color in Tabitha Smiley's important film, Death of a King, the real story of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s final year. I have to admit, I've never yet seen that film, although it's such an important, I heard Tavis Smiley talking about it, and it's on my list of films I have to see in 2022. I also witnessed the Democratic terror campaign firsthand. In 1964 and 1965, I was a field secretary for the East Coast Regional Office of the Congress of Racial Equality, 
also worked closely with President James Farmer in the national office, since the regional office was inside the national office in New York City. Now at the July 1965 Corp National Convention, Ruth Turner of Cleveland Corp and Lincoln Lynch of Long Island Corp, almost two years before King's speech, introduced a motion that Corp come out against the US war in Vietnam and urged black people not to fight. James Farmer, an avowed pacifist, was terrified and told the delegates in no uncertain terms the court depended on the support of the Democratic Party for civil rights reforms. Any effort to oppose the war would bring down massive oppression from the Democrats. Now, at least he was honest, because that's true. The delegates still pushed on with their motion, and Farmer had to exert extra parliamentary maneuvers to kill the motion. He basically said at the end, I'm the director. I know what you're voting, but it's out of order. But before you just think, well, why did he do that? Wasn't that undemocratic? Yes, it was. But more fundamentally, I saw the absolute fear in Farmer's visage. And while strongly disagreeing, I understood his deep concerns as to the cost to core as he knew it. So President Biden, thank you for introducing the new Voting Rights Act. And thank you for taking on the fascist right. But please do not invoke Dr. King's name to support your cause. The Democratic Party has his blood on its hands. Unfortunately, the Democratic Party didn't stop. If you can imagine, you think about the counter-revolution, you think about the white backlash. But you don't remember, some of you, how Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden led the, back, the white backlash, led the attack on black males to send them to prison in the crime bill, and led the attack on black women to end, quote, welfare as we know it. That wasn't Reagan. That wasn't Bush. That wasn't even Trump. It was Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and as you'll see, Joe Biden. In 1972, after the massive white backlash against the candidacy of George McGovern, who was, by the way, the most wonderful candidate, some of his supporters, such as Bill Clinton, concluded sadly, but correctly, that the white settler state would not elect a decent civil rights anti-war president. They initiated the Democratic Leadership Council to move the Democratic Party to the right. They said to the center, but they meant to the right, and to purge the Kennedy and McGovern forces from leadership in the party. And yes, by 1967 and 68, Bobby Kennedy had moved far to the left and was a very important figure with some alliances with those of us in the civil rights and anti-war movement. It doesn't in any way forgive what he did or justify even who he was, but he was an ally. At one point, he had been an enemy. So Kennedy and McGovern were trying to move the Democratic Party to the left. They were trying to make it more of a civil rights party. And yes, they had second thoughts about should U.S. imperialism be fighting all these wars all over the world. They were still going to be for U.S. imperialism, but a dramatically reformed version of it. But if you study the election of 1972, 
it was a grotesque landslide for Nixon. And George McGovern could not even carry South Dakota where he was the senator. What it said is this is a white settler state. And to my friends in Democratic Socialist America, when you just keep telling us it's going to be a socialist America, you're not going to have a socialist Nazi Germany. And that's what the United States is at its core. You can develop a resistance, but please don't talk about socialized fascism or socialized imperialism. We in the 60s knew that was never going to be possible. So the Clintons initiated the Democratic Leadership Conference to move the Democratic Party to the right. They succeeded only too well. Bill and Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, Al Gore is the only person who ran for president and won, and said, it's okay, why don't you have it, George Bush? After all, Al Gore conceded at 10 o'clock at night, and Trump hasn't conceded today, and you want to know why the fascists are coming to power, because the Democratic Party has never stood up to the fascists. And to give Joe Biden some credit, he is trying right now. He sees the danger, and he should be supported in that fight. By 1992, Clinton and Gore ran against black men and women, calling the former super predators and the latter welfare chiefs. In 1994, Clinton and the Democratic Party passed the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act commonly known as the 1994 Crime Bill, the Clinton Crime Bill, or the Biden Crime Law, the largest crime bill in the history of the United States. If you can imagine, 100,000 new police officers, 9.7 billion in funding for prisons, and 6.1 billion in funding for quote, prevention programs designed by the police forces with whom Joe Biden worked. Can you even imagine that much money going into the inner cities? Instead, they spent the money to obliterate the inner cities and obliterate Black people. Senator Joe Biden of Delaware drafted the Senate version of the legislation in cooperation with the National Association of Police Officers. In 1996, Bill and Hillary Clinton championed the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Act that under the guise of, quote, welfare reform, ended financial support for millions of low-income women and children. Tens of millions. The rhetoric around the crime bill and ending welfare as we know it was racist, misogynistic, and punitive. The elaboration of these arguments can be found in How to Stop the Clinton Assault by Eric Mann and Leanne Hurst Mann in Z Magazine, September 1997. And the strategy says political publication, or now, number three, in October 1997, of which Leanne Hurstman was editor. So as we celebrate Dr. King's revolutionary legacy, I leave you with the statements of then-Senator, now President Biden, on how to violate the civil and human rights of low-income Black communities, as he spoke in support of the crime bill that he managed. Let me say, it's very hard for me to read this. It truly strikes of Adolf Hitler's demonization of Jews and, yes, of George Wallace's demonization of Black people. It is the language of genocide. And I want you to listen because this is 
President Biden when he was Senator Biden. We have predators on our streets. The society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. They're beyond the pale, many of these people, these people, beyond the pale. It's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. A cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing because they literally, because they literally have not been socialized. They literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them, will become the predators 15 years from now. Notice every single language is they're not even human, which is the language of colonialism. Uh, Senator Biden continues. The consensus is we must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that's accosting your son or daughter, or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter whether or not they had no background that enabled them to become socialized into the fabric of our great society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they, meaning black men, they are about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, and then parenthetically take on my sons. This is the language of the black male assault on the white woman, totally contrived to justify slavery. That's Senator Biden. And he ends, I don't care if anybody's a malefactor in society. I don't care why somebody's antisocial. I don't care why they become a sociopath. We have an obligation to, we have an obligation to cordon them off to the rest of society. Terrifying, terrifying. We heard what Trump said about Mexicans. But this is the most horrible statements against black people that I can ever remember hearing. And this sadly was in 1994. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I can make the argument that the Clintons and Joe Biden created the conditions for the rise of Donald Trump, who they now are fighting. Let's be clear, this is the language of genocide. Up there among the most degrading, dehumanizing language against black people. This is the classical democratic liberal anti-blackness that the civil rights and black liberation movement fought to the death to destroy. So President Biden, I support your aggressive introduction of a new voting rights bill. I support your fight against the filibuster. I support your fight against Donald Trump and the arch right. But please do not invoke the name of Dr. Martin Luther King to advance that cause. Being the Democrats tortured him, surveilled him, slandered him, tried to drive him to suicide, encouraged others to kill him, and now have worked to whitewash his memory. Worse, you Democrats are major contributors to the mass incarceration, mass impoverishment, mass houselessness, and yes, 
the mass disenfranchisement of the very black people you now call on to support your voting rights bill. And for those social justice activists and organizers today, we believe that the Democratic Party is the road to salvation. I urge you to at least read this history, an exposition of the real revolutionary king, and ask yourself, which side are you on? This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. And you're listening to Voices from the Frontlines on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming online at kpfk.org. Our website is voicesfromthefrontlines.com. <laughs> With the South Central Third World News, I'm Ernesto Arce with voices from the front lines and news from South Central to the Global South. LAPD officers have been caught playing games. First, two Los Angeles police officers were accused of ignoring a 2017 robbery to play the smartphone game Pokemon Go. A California court upholding the LAPD's firing of two cops for playing Pokemon Go instead of responding to a robbery. A video system in their patrol car captured the officers ignoring the initial report and calls for backup back in 2017. For 20 minutes, the officers were recorded driving to different locations, trying to capture virtual Pokemon creatures. To be fair, that's a very addictive game. A California appeals court upheld their firing last week despite their appeals, which included accusations that the city broke the law for using the digital in-car video system as evidence. The two were found guilty on multiple counts of misconduct by the department's board of rights who used the patrol car evidence. Much to the LAPD's embarrassment, the five-year-old case has gone viral and become a global news headline, stoking the debate over police abuse of power and arguments over budgeting and defunding. Then an image circulated on social media showed a window at the LAPD Wilshire Division with a sign reading that the station was closed on January 8th because of defunding. The Daily Dot contacted the mayor's office and the department, which confirmed that the station was temporarily closed and determined that an officer had placed the sign and a complaint was initiated, implying that there was possible wrongdoing or a violation of policy. The outlet says the closure of the station was more likely due to an officer shortage due to COVID-19 rather than the highly politicized defunding of the department. Last week, Chief Michael Moore said that more than 800 department personnel were either out sick or quarantining, a nearly tenfold increase from a month ago. The average employee was out 24 days, almost four times longer than the CDC's current guideline of five days for most workers. In 2020, Los Angeles cut the police budget $150 million, but the LA Times reports that nearly a third of that was subsequently restored by overtime costs. LAist reports that the city increased the LAPD budget by $41 million the following year for a total of $1.7 billion. Now the LAPD is asking for an additional $213 million for the upcoming year. In South America, Argentina is sounding a warning about the devastating effects of climate change. The entire country is facing an unprecedented heat wave as temperatures have hit 129 degrees this past weekend in Mar de Plata and Buenos Aires, breaking all-time records. 
Lucas Berengua is a meteorologist in the country. Lo que estamos atravesando es una ola de calor de características extraordinarias con valores de temperatura extremos que inclusive se analizará luego de la finalización de la misma, pero puede generar algunos récords históricos de temperatura en Argentina, como así de persistencia del calor. Berengua says Argentina is going through a heat wave of extraordinary characteristics, and besides record-setting temperatures, what is more worrying is the duration of the heat. The government also says most of the country is facing devastating massive blackouts due to increased energy demand, much like the Arctic Circle facing firestorms in recent years. The tip-off for environmentalists is that normally frigid Patagonia hit 86 degrees. Russia and U.S. held security talks this week to discuss NATO operations and how to de-escalate tensions between the two countries. Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov told his U.S. counterparts that NATO must quit the principle of military development on its eastern flank. U.S. negotiators, led by Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman, complained about the buildup of Russian troops near the Ukraine border. Ryabkov said Russia had no intention or plan to attack its neighbor and that there was no reason to fear any escalation. He added that any attempt by the U.S. and NATO to blackmail and intimidate Russia about Ukraine is unacceptable and highlighted the need for radical changes for the Russia-NATO relationship. The National Tsunami Warning Center has issued a tsunami warning for the entire West Coast and Alaska after an underwater volcano erupted just a few miles from Tonga in the South Pacific. The city of Santa Monica issued a rare emergency alert to its residents, saying it didn't expect any damage to beaches or the pier, but that surf conditions would be dangerous. Twitter users who work at beachfront businesses say they contacted their employers, who assured them that it was business as usual. One Twitter user expressed shock that he was essentially required to show up to his pier job during an apparent emergency. With the South Central Third World News segment of Voices from the Front Lines, I'm Ernesto Arce. Now back to Eric Mann and Chenning Martinez in the studio. We're going to go out with the whole song of Happy Birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King by Stevie Wonder. Again, I heard something just by fluke as I was going to find the song on YouTube that Stevie Wonder still, in general, somewhat vague terms about love and peace and happiness, is calling on President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris to set up an investigation, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It's very radical this year. He's fed up with people using his song just as we're fed up of using his song and using Dr. King. It's very painful to hear him say, since I wrote that song, and since there's been a national holiday, there's not been one iota of progress for Black people in the society. And much of that is saying to Barack Obama, to Michelle Obama, to George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Al Gore, Joe Biden, to Ronald Reagan. This country is so racist. We have to look in the mirror. Stevie Wonder, thank you for everything. I urge everybody to listen to his statement. In fact, we're going to try to have it on the show next week.
So God bless you all. And God bless Dr. Martin Luther King. I'm a religious person when it comes to revolutionaries. They're my gods and they're my saviors and they're my idols. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. Obviously, thanks to KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. Check out our podcast on voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And always, you can contribute to KPFK any day. It's always welcome. We're going to go out with Stevie Wonder's amazing Happy Birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King. I'm just going to sing a verse because no, <laughs> nobody can sing it like Stevie, but we want Dr. King to all come alive in our own voices as well. I just never understood how a man who died for good could not have a day that would be set aside. There's recognition because it should never be just because some cannot see the dream as clear as he that they should make it a common illusion how we all know everything that he stood for time will bring for in peace our hearts will sing thanks to Martin Luther King happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday happy birthday to you Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Dr. Martin Luther King. Thank you, Stevie Wonder. Please take it from here.
Our hearts tell us something. 